Hello, everyone, and welcome to Carbide Content. I'm one of your hosts, Dalen from MachineWise. I'm David from Contraption Collection. I'm Grant from Fellowship Blades. And I'm John from Sears. Sears. And I Sears, that's a good one. Yeah, or Ikea. <laughs> or Ikea, that's also a good well, one. At least that company still successful. around. Yeah. Yep. I don't know why I can't remember my own company name anymore. <laughs> yeah. So it happens. Two weeks in a row. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Um, who hasn't started in a while? David, do you have any fun updates? Oh, God, I knew it was going to be me. No, <laughs> no, I don't. <laughs> Nothing yet? Okay. I got asphalt sort of poured and uh, a panel oh. with breakers in it finally, but okay, now I have to wait for it to be inspected or something. I don't know. Oh, okay, so the lines are officially underground. Yeah. And you actually have a panel now, so that's good. Yeah, so no. I'm just cleaning, and uh, cleaning could be challenging, but uh, it really helps if you buy a lot of shelves and a lot of bins, and you just <laughs> pick yeah. something, and you're like, this is going to be the safety glasses bin, and you go around finding all the safety glasses, and yeah, okay. even the ones that are already on a shelf or in some other bin, and yep. just start dividing stuff up and then eventually you got a shelf that makes sense and you've kind of converted a different shelf to also make sense. Interesting. Uh, I have, I have a very interesting relationship with horizontal spaces. Mm. <laughs> Is it that not, everything horizontal gets full of crap? Yes. It's, it's not a healthy relationship. Yeah. That's not unique to, I think that's yes. every human on the planet. Uh -huh. Yeah. So yes. I've, I've limited my shelf space. I, no, I go no, the other no. way. You got to go all shelf space. You make so much horizontal space that you never run out. You just exactly. occasionally have to Ooh. rearrange it. That's my train of thought. I need that sounds more dangerous. <laughs> I have one shelf in my entire shop, and it's literally for shipping and finished inventory. I got a lot. Yeah. Of well, <laughs> if stuff isn't on the ground too much yet, then maybe you're. No, uh, the only thing that ever is on the ground is boxes. Mm, yeah. I'm, if it's on the ground, it needs wheels. If you don't need it, throw it away. I'll just get dollies for all the boxes. Yeah. <laughs> and then with shelves, always get shelves that are not super deep. Because if you start putting stuff in front of other stuff, <laughs> that other stuff is deleted from reality. You'll never yep. use it again. Yep. Are you I, uh, the floors... Is it a is it a rented building? Like, is it leased? I don't. Do you guys own it? I don't know the. Hey, you guys actually have the space. Me? Yeah. Yeah, we own our our space. Yeah. What kind of floor are you guys gonna do? Like epoxy or anything, or is it just concrete right now with no plans? It's just concrete. We thought since we're moving stuff around, we could do something like if epoxy if we wanted to. I I I think we probably will. We'll just leave it concrete. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I mean, there's definitely having epoxy floors is like super luxurious and nice, but it's also expensive. And if you have like good concrete floors, it's also totally fine. Yeah. Yeah. I, I not sure if I really see the benefit of epoxy besides the looks. It's a little bit easier to clean. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, yeah, that's probably true. like, like you can just straight up mop epoxy where concrete yeah. is like, It'll destroy your mop and it just doesn't work. 
It just yeah. absorbs the oil and is now concrete and oil forever. <laughs> yeah. Uh-huh. I'm aware yeah. of that one. No, I kind of am uh, aware of that as well. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I should put more thought into it. Right. Uh, but I don't know. I, I'm, I, you know, I have like a little office space that's uh, got a tile floor and uh, only a few of the tiles have chunks missing out of them. So <laughs> nice. Yeah, nice, you know, but it's, I got bigger wheels for my rolling desk chair, so it's fine. Did you put the, did you put the, um, roller skate wheels on it? Yeah. Roller yeah. Wheels? Nice. Oh, nice. Yeah. I can I glide would, all over the place. I would be a menace if I had one of those. I'm not allowed <laughs> to have one of those. <laughs> I don't know. And then, uh, you know, I put up a video recently and, uh, uh, I don't know. Last week I told you, and we tried to work on a different video idea and mm-hmm. trying to figure out what I want to do for for a different video. Uh, yeah. But I'm not sure if I'll do anything before Blade Show or not. Mm. Yeah. And then, well, actually, I'll say one more thing is uh, kind of I've just been thinking a lot and trying to like plan things and model things and and I go back and forth on whether I should try to make like just a trainer and just scissors and see like how much I would learn from doing that, you know, mm-hmm. as opposed to just, just, uh, like, I, I mean, I still have stuff rolling with the, the battle scissors, but, yep. um, I don't know. I, there's different sides of it. One is just figuring out the scissors stuff. Uh, but then the other side of it is like, um, Stuff like the the actual selling and customer service and things like that was like a little bit of a wake up call, and uh, and and part of me wishes I could just sell something to to learn that on like an easier level before the ball scissors. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I mean, yeah, being a direct to consumer like selling company is extremely difficult when you're the only one that's in charge of all of that and everything else. Yeah. I mean, I'd say three hours of my day is dedicated to basically Instagram and emails. Yeah. Easily. Like easily three hours. Yeah. So I don't know. I'm just spending a lot of time thinking and I'm trying to also just get my life outside of work a little bit together while things are in a, bit of a standstill um you know like There's, did you know things with obvious health benefits have obvious health benefits what sleep what? diet and exercise what yeah i'm actually Ooh. trying to do some of those oh wow <laughs> let me know <laughs> how it goes insane. yeah right <laughs> i didn't know there was a life outside of work <laughs> yeah yep yeah i, I mean actually uh, Good. I was gonna say, segueing off of that, um, I've worked so much in the past month, ever since getting the brother, that I had I don't know three hours of like personal time at home, and I realized I forgot what to do with my free time. Oh, gosh. so nice. I just went to bed. <laughs> you, know, you probably needed it. <laughs> wow. Yeah, it's just weird that you you can forget what to do if you work too much. Definitely, yeah. I've, I've, I've had to, and we talked about this, I think more off the yep. podcast, but I've had to like structure my hobbies now as, uh-huh. a, <laughs> as opposed to just like, Oh, I have free time. I'm going to 
do the things I enjoy. It's like 9 a.m. on Saturday mornings is hobby for Yelp. a couple hours. And that way I can get off everything. I can get away from work and I have to right. get off everything, get away from work. Yelp. It's a good thing to do. I should, I should learn from that. It, it's been really nice. It like, I, I never realized how much I needed a structure because mm-hmm. I, I was very much always very uh, free, free form, you know, yep, just do, yep. do whatever I needed to do. And, um, but as, as much as I am running out of time and all my time is going to work, I've realized that dedicating time consistently and habit forming and all those things is, you know, it works. I, everyone says it works. Yep. It does. <laughs> okay. I think you had something before I, I segued. Oh, um, on David's last note of just like selling something besides your super complicated uh, valley scissors. And I mean that in a, in a good way. But um, I learned a lot from selling. The first thing I ever sold was just titanium pry bars. Very simple bottle opener pry bar. Um, there's literally nothing that could go wrong because it, it wasn't a mechanism. It was just a milled titanium part. And as long as you look at it, it looks good. Then it's like, there's no QC issues. There's nothing like that. Yep. Um, I learned a lot from that before I did anything more complicated. And, and I still made a lot of mistakes going into, you know, knives and whatever, but um, it's, a, it may be a good thing to just like do a, you know, keychain item in, and you have enough like fan base. You could just do contraption collection, something cool. That's just aesthetic if you wanted to. And just put it on your site and get all the the back end stuff working with a very simple cheap item. Yeah, I I I have a problem where like I keep wanting to do something like that, but then I I feel like it has to be like completely unique and uh, you know some new invention or or it has <laughs> to be something that has never been done before or at least has mm-hmm. to be like complex and mechanical in some way Mm -hmm. and uh i think i need to get over that a little bit um you know even with the ballast scissors i've had to like get over that a little bit and and not just keep adding extra complications on for no reason right Um, and uh yeah i i i uh i think like just the the exercise of making a trainer or scissors uh just to learn is still, I think potentially a valuable thing. Uh, but yeah, maybe if the goal is learning through, through selling, going even simpler is even better. Uh, I, I don't think I could really reliably, I don't, I don't. Yeah. I, I don't think I'd want to sell actual scissors, uh, probably or not in a huge, huge number. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it, all, all of the above, I think you you'd learn more about ballets if you did a trainer. You'd learn more about scissors if you made scissors. You'd learn more about business if you just did something that's really easy. Um, maybe maybe a combination of all three. And and, <laughs> and another thing I was thinking about is is like getting a host or whatever has been delayed, and so doing something less complicated means I could still potentially have fun on the tour mock and mm-hmm. not feel like I'm wasting time because it, I can't get the tolerances i want to right that'd be a great thing just have something to run on the mill while you're waiting on everything else to work yeah so bad idea so i don't know that's more recent thought up until 
the last few days I've just been cleaning and planning stuff, but, uh, I think I want to, I think I want to spend more time on other ideas. I like it. Sweet. Cause I mean, sometimes you just need to have fun, like designing things. I don't know. No, I totally agree. Um, on tangent to that is me doing these pottery tools that have absolutely nothing to do with my business. Oh, that's a pottery tool. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was just talking to my editor about pottery and uh, oh, oh, really? my girlfriend. I kind of want to take a class. Do it. It. I love it. <laughs> it's awesome. No, it's cool. And it's also got similar like uh, order of operations type of stuff going on. Mm-hmm. There's as much as there's like nothing in common because like running machines and programming and, and hand tool, you know, pots together or throwing pots. There are, there's way more mentally in common than you think, because yeah, you, you're absolutely right. There's an order of operations. You've got to do it. There's stages, there's finishing, there's prep work. There's, and your gadget mind will get fall in love with the tools and the stuff that you can use to make your forms or whatever. Uh, but enough about pots. It's very fun. No, I mean, it's crazy how many things I've done. I just like taking those kind of classes, and I, and I haven't as much uh, in a while. But, you know, I've done, like, jewelry-making stuff, and glass-blowing, and shoe-making. And it's mm-hmm. crazy how much overlap, like, doing any kind of making is with yeah. with other types and how much you can learn. Absolutely. But. Well, what have you been up to, Grant, I guess? Uh, pottery tools. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, I'll, I'll start somewhere. Uh, so the Empress is, uh, I think it's production ready. I, I trained Zeke on the style a little bit today. Okay. Um, and got him familiar with my palette contraptions, yep. uh, for the Empress. And so starting tomorrow, we're going to try to kind of test run a few production things and make sure everything assembles well and does well. We're going to start serial numbers over for the Empress. So uh, tonight we're running serial numbers. We're actually starting serial numbers four, five, and six because we're doing something special for one, two, and three. Nice. Um, but yeah, so finally after, I don't know, I thought I was going to have production like a month ago. <laughs> yeah, I feel <laughs> that. I think I made a post. I was like, oh yeah, production starts next week. And then every, I, just hit a wall and then crawled, but um, feeling pretty good about it. Uh, and I'm I'm very happy with the design so far. It flips really really well. It, it looks, looks great, really good. Um, if it anyone comes, really too. it sounds great. It's I'm actually so people in the Balson community that are listening to this may hate me. I honestly don't like the way the Medusa sounds. Uh, okay. I like the fact that it's a satisfying noise. Like it's very loud and it's very clacky and it's, it rings and that's all like yep. mechanically. It's really good. It's just so loud that you can't flip it around people because they'll get annoyed at you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so the Empress, because it's sandwich and it's uh, it's much more solid in the width of it. If that makes any sense. It, I mean, it doesn't have a long cutout. It's got a lot of bridges holding it together. Right. Um, so it's it's a very nice clack, but it's not like a bell. Uh, like the yeah, there's no ring per se. Yeah, so it's very it's still a very nice clack. It's on the Medusa system, so you know it it all it sounds as it should, but it's not super super loud and tinny. Um, yep. So it's much easier to 
flip inside or you know next to people and whatever so um so i saw the pottery tools a little bit on your story uh yes did you make them or was it just infusion i i feel like i saw you make them no i made them um so i this is something that has been on my mind since the past probably two weeks or so um just evaluating my design process because i think for the past year, especially with, with the business, I've gotten so into just, I open up Fusion and I start doing stuff. Um, and I get really clouded sometimes when I do that because there's a lot of like, you know, you know, anyone that runs Fusion, there's a lot of stuff you have to do to manage Fusion. Or it's like, if I want to make a certain feature, I have to think about how I'm going to model that feature. Um, yeah. And then, you know, the, if you do it in the right order of operations, if you set all your, you know, uh, parametric stuff out, then it works. Uh, but you, they, that takes some time. And it's not necessarily time, but it's like brain power. And I feel like for me, sometimes that stifles the creativity. And so I've gone backwards to just drawing before I do anything. Even if I, even if I feel like I know what I'm going to do, I draw it first, even if it takes me hours to draw it. Because I feel like I can, you I mean can on just paper on like on physical paper. I, yeah, I've yeah. been, uh, I actually did it on my iPad, so I guess not physical paper, but physically drawing, not in a modeling software, not sketching out in Fusion, whatever. Um, and it's it's not necessarily more productive. I don't necessarily think that that's the metric I'm gonna use, but it, I feel happier about the design process where. Sometimes in Fusion, I get stressed about the design because I'm like, it's not, it's not looking right. It's not working the way I want it to. But when I'm drawing, I feel like I'm just able to get into a flow state a lot better. Um, it's more natural for me, I guess, the way, the way my brain turns. So long story short, uh, we were on a road trip to, to Houston, and I was in the passenger seat. So I was like, I'm just going to start working on some designs. And I'm doing these pottery things. And... Uh, pottery tools are a whole interesting niche that I'm discovering because there's like a couple people that make carbide pottery tools that are really good. And then, <laughs> wow. uh, yeah, so it's, it's an interesting niche. You, you never thought like carbide tooling in pottery, that seems right. odd, but it, it's there. And then everyone else makes these like really chinzy, uh, like stainless bent pieces of metal basically. So yeah, not even treated, not hard. Yeah, like there's a huge spectrum, and I was like, okay, well, if only a couple people make these carbide tools, and they're like back ordered for almost a year or two, and I'm like, maybe I can jump on this because yeah, that's, totally. Carbide's not my wheelhouse making wise, but like I'm familiar with the materials. I'm I have these machines and everything else besides the actual tip of the blade. Um, I I know how to do. So if I just figure out how to mill carbide, then I can do it. Right. Um. Oh, anyway, so. Gee. Yeah, so basically got into just a design flow state of I'm just going to throw together my idea of a pottery tool. And then um, I, it's just it's very cool to be able to reset in an entirely new design uh, industry and just start from scratch. And like I made a tool and I started messing with it on the pottery wheel and I realized that I ground the edge geometry totally wrong. And so it it works on one side, but it doesn't work on the edges. And then had to reevaluate and stuff like that. And 
fitting in your hand. Obviously, I drew it on a piece of paper, but that wasn't exactly perfect to my hand. So, you know, just doing it on a belt grinder with a drill, um, you, you know, I'm molding it to where I want it to be, and then I can evaluate from there. So it's very fun. I I'm, I feel um, I feel like I've got I've gotten a lot better understanding of my design process because I just I'm resetting now with all the skills that I've learned over the past God knows of like intensive machining and stuff like yep. that uh, in the past two years of business, my own business. Mm-hmm. So um, it's been very lethargic, if that's the right yes. word. <laughs> no, that's, that's not the right word. What is cathartic? Cathartic. cathartic. I always, I always get messed up. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, that's what's. No, I, you know. I think that you do work different at different mediums because, like, I, I think, uh, you know, working in pencil uses a different part of your brain or it limits you in a different way, and uh, I think limitations could feed creativity. And then, like, I think working into like a real medium where it's not just CNC, you're just you know, carving stuff out, seeing how it looks, seeing how it feels is different. Mm-hmm. And then like, uh, you know, I also would like, uh, like at least early on with, uh, some ideas of the ballast scissors, I'd make stuff out of Lego, you know, <laughs> and I, I think that was beneficial. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think, I think that's cool. Yeah. It's interesting. And I put a poll up on my Instagram and it was very interesting to me because I got to see who answered. Uh, my poll, which was the the poll for listeners is uh, do you sketch out things on paper or do you write into whatever production media modeling that you have just go for it. And I think, I think the end result was somewhat tied, but everyone that went for just go into your production media was everyone that I think of as high level business like your industry people. Uh, a lot of the creative types that I know went into the sketch at first, but a lot of the business types that I know went into like, like, I don't know if he's going to flame me for this, but Lucas was into the straight model production side, uh, okay. not sketching first. So very interesting. And there's a lot of other knife makers that were in the, in the same boat. And I don't know See, if there's t- some I answer. I forget. Uh, you went into model side as well. Okay, cool. Uh, yeah. I, I usually just go straight into modeling for like if i already kind of understand uh the thing i'm making then i like you know it's just kind of like building a design on top of a thing you already know what it is and it, and i i could get a lot of creativity out of like i want to try using the loft tool this way or the revolve tool or whatever mm-hmm. uh but then like you know part of the thing uh i was thinking about this week is like I was trying to think of like what's other stuff I could make if I wanted to. And I was uh, trying to figure out if, if I could make like a, a butterfly knife thing that functioned as a measuring tool. And uh, <laughs> I, I think I have a cool idea, but it's, it's too complicated to be just like, I I'm going to try to like protect myself from disappointment and be like, Oh yeah, I could just do this in a week. Uh, but like, it was a thing that was like weird enough. It's like, okay, I can't just do this in my head. I don't even know what I would do on the computer. So I just started trying to draw it. And mm-hmm. and it definitely worked, you know. And, and it was also just like, I got to get it out before I forget, you know. Right. Because mm-hmm. I, I had like, you know, that little bit of inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah I, can't, I can't draw, so. 
I can't. Yeah. I can't either. Oh, my drawing was not pretty, but uh, yeah, I knew what it meant. I made a stick figure knife. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I always thought that I couldn't draw, but I realized that I I kept trying to draw like organic things or like you know the the classic artist like draw a mountain or draw a person or whatever. Yeah. yeah. And then and then I took you know a graphical design course and uh, or not it was um basically GD and T, but you create the drawings. And we started out the first half of the semester was all pencil paper doing engineering drawings. And I realized that whenever I'm drawing an item, I have a very good grasp because uh, I can, I can picture it. I can, yeah. I can make items. I can make static objects really, really well, even or weird shapes. I can do that. It's just anything natural or organic. I just cannot fathom it <laughs> at all. I mean, yeah. When I saw your, your story image of the, of the, uh, what was it? The, the pottery tool. Yeah. I thought it was real, and then I thought it was a model, and then I realized it was drawn. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I, that's a pretty good compliment, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. I feel like, and it's it's kind of one of those things, like anyone can draw. It's not necessarily true, but I, th- I feel like it is true. It just, if you take enough time and you really think about how the object is, obviously with learning and, and experience, uh, I think I think it's anyone can do it. And like, I don't know. I, I think three-dimensionally. I can envision things three-dimensionally and, like, you know, rotate them in my head and get a good visual in my head, but I can't put that on paper. Like, I can't draw a cube to save my life. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, the drawings I kind of do tend to be more two-dimensional. And I did take an engineering class kind of like you were talking about where uh, they gave us, like, some of that dot triangle paper that helps you draw isometric drawings. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of cool. But uh, mostly I draw out ideas more 2D. Okay. Kind of like you'd make a print for something. Yep. Yeah. Well, I, I've, yeah, I get that. Uh, 2D for me is generally more useful for like dimensions and design. Um, the only reason I did 3D is because I had four hours to kill and I was like, <laughs> I'm going to make this look pretty. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you did. Yeah. I went and it, you know, I, I will say I, Every line on there, I did on iPads. It was very nice. Is like I redrew most of that. I did a sketch, and I was like, "Oh, that's not the right direction." And I just erased it and did another one, and until it looked right. So it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's a different process, but it mm-hmm. still works. Oh. Um, I think it's the end of, uh, end of my session. I, I don't and know what tangent. Now it's all gone forever because I don't think it's on your Instagram story. <laughs> uh, yeah, I have, I have it saved. You know, whatever. <laughs> our our listeners, I'm sorry, listeners. It's gone like tears in the rain. Oh, okay. I'll I'll post it right now so that people can see it. Um, Dalen, how was how was your week? Let's see. So progress on the brothers being made. Um, this has been the the slowest I've ever gotten a machine into production, and annoyingly, it's not my fault. Oh, <sighs> yep. Uh, but the machine is like it's as it's as ready to run as it can be from Yamazen. Mm-hmm. Um, I need to get an ancillary coolant tank for it, like a like a fifteen gallon stainless cube, basically, and just tie a hose between that and the main tank. So is is the main problem still just not enough coolant, or uh, yeah, not enough coolant? 
Yep, yep. That's the that's the last of the things. They're looking at warranting my coolant pump because or my my three spindle coolant pump because it still doesn't sound as it should. Mm, that's good. Um, but uh, yeah, no. If it's not like like almost about to overflow, the the through spindle pump starts sounding like it's cavitating, basically. That's definitely not right. <laughs> uh huh. Yep. But I I finally got contact to someone that is amazing at Yamazen. Um, they're based in Portland, unfortunately. Ooh, nice. Yeah, right. Um, but yeah. he is like, like he is truly an expert. Every question I've asked, he has answers for immediately and in-depth ones at that. This is the first person from Yamazen I've been able to get that from. Um, but yeah, so brother is ready to run. I have finished a slift tee off of it. I'm getting smooth bevel slift tee blades and it's looking great. Nice. Um, I just have to basically pattern all of the programs, put a few finishing touches on a couple things here and there, and then play around with the spindle probe still. Are, are we all just be quiet? I thought my discord froze. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I'm, I'm still listening. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, cool. Oh, yeah, that was the end of my thought there. Um, oh, okay. Yeah. yeah. Next, basically, next up is to start playing with the spindle probe. Figure out all of the programs that drive the spindle probe, and then make my own. Because my intent is to probe everything. Yes. If it's a critical dimension, I plan to probe it, and then update tool diameter offsets, and have that be a loop until I get the desired dimension, or something mm. explodes. Nice. Yes. When it starts cutting a 20-inch radius, I'm going to go, hmm, that could be a problem. Sweet. Um, yeah, other than that, the shop is running great, like, running well, running smooth. Uh, my Mighty Viper is going to be down tomorrow for a new X-axis uh, thrust bearing. Oh, um, hi. Yep, this is a, a noise it started making probably a month into ownership. Oh, yeah, I remember that. We talked about that, like... Oh, yeah, months. uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, this is... <laughs> It's um, I absolutely love my Mighty and Miltronics dealer. Um, is he's just been going through a really bad health uh, time right now, so service has been a little bit on the downside. But he's they're coming in and taking care of that finally. Nice. Yeah, I'll finally get the probes for my Miltronics as well. Nice. That's gonna be great. Yeah, that'll be nice. And yeah, short of that, I have to start working less. Yeah. And to do that, I'm actually actively hiring right now. Oh, what what position? Yep. I'm looking for a finishing technician that can also bridge the gap for assembly until my assembly tech is able to go full time. Gotcha. gotcha. But yeah, I need someone more on the finishing side of things to completely take over tumble, do heat treat, temper, and then also order fulfillment, shipping, things of that nature. Are you still doing all the sharpening? Sharpening would be part of that as well. And yes, yes, I am. I am sick of it. Yeah, because I was thinking about that today. Uh, I want Zeke to run both the Sile and the Haas and just get everything, you know, full board. Yeah, exactly. And I realized that he does basically all of the shipping, which because he, he takes a knife, sharpens it to whatever the customer ordered. 
uh-huh. and then cleans it, packages it, puts the shipping label on it. Um, and that's kind of all in one workflow, so it's hard to break that up. Okay. And we have yet to consistently, at least to a, you know, uh, sellable quality standard sharpening. And Zeke picked up sharpening pretty well, but I think he's he's a knife guy, so it's like he was, that was yeah. already a skill he kind of had. Exactly. And I, and I'm I was thinking about hiring another tech for to take anything that Zeke doesn't want to do machine shop wise, so that he can focus on on the shop. Mm-hmm. And I just don't know how I'd train someone that doesn't know how to sharpen. Like that's going to be a task. Uh, do you have an excess of scrap blades? I did. Um, I mean, I, I trained Zeke with what all of the Medusa blades we had. Yep. And then um, we probably have a few now. Okay. Um, yeah. But we've been trying to yeah. train Ray, Rage on him. He's been going through them. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at as well. Um, training for sharpening. It's it's a really weird skill. I mean, yeah. it took me it took me over two years to be able to freehand sharpen. Mm-hmm. And like truly understand sharpening, which is embarrassing, but that's just that's just is what it is. It's yeah, it's just how it is. Um, and like you know, our 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 sharpeners are fantastic, and they do take out a fair bit of user error. But there's still a lot you can do to ruin a knife, even on our sharpeners. Oh, yeah. absolutely, yeah. Um, especially weird geometry like the Impusa blade. Y- yeah, or, sorry, well, the Empress blade. Thank you. I have a knack for making very hard to sharpen blades. Yes, so. and and the slift T blade has an what an inverse belly, if you will. It's not really a kukri, but it still has an it's inverse a recurve, belly. I think. Recurve. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, I'm fortunately since those are our hardest ones to sharpen. Um, I God, well over a year ago, I I scrapped out like 25 of them. That was nice. the largest largest scrap of uh, of anything to date. Wow. Short of actually Prisma handles, I forgot about those. Oh yeah, <laughs> those were machining scrap. At least those that was the largest machining scrap batch we've ever had, and I still yeah. have them. So we have a lot of those to learn how to sharpen on. That's yeah. good. That, yeah. good. Kitchen knives too. People can bring in their kitchen knives. <laughs> yeah. yeah, right. I was gonna say I, I don't know if it'd be as good as like the exact same shape, but you could probably yep. go to a thrift shop and. Just buy a you know, bunch buy a ton of cent knives, one dollar knives, right? Yeah, I, yeah. It would it would probably work because I mean I learned to sharpen on like when I was making fixed blades and other just sharpening knives for friends and whatnot. So, and that transferred right over into the knives I'm making today. So I assume because for me it it hasn't. So like sharpening kitchen knives or like any knife that's just almost a straight edge the entire way, like worn glyphs or really, really shallow bowies, things like that, where you can just yeah. do it all in one pass. Um, those are typically pretty easy. It's like the it's the Tontos or the weird the more weird profiles where you have to you have one secondary edge and then you have to go into a secondary edge. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. No, t- Tontos are definitely a learning curve, but yep. I guess if you make a Tonto, then you know how to sharpen a Tonto. And I yep. I yeah. Yeah, there's a lot more feel and like trial and error and like just instinct on yeah. on like opus blades and marin blades things like that. But yeah, so I am actively trying to hire right now. Are you so you're going fun. through the college uh, connection you have? Yeah, so Jacob came from ASU, uh, their Polytech campus, and um, he put me in touch with his professor, which he turns out to be like 
the head professor for the entire like manufacturing and like manufacturing engineering side of ASU. Nice. Which is really cool. We had a meeting scheduled for yesterday, I think, but uh, unfortunately he got sick last minute. So we had to reschedule for next week. Yep. So I might, I might try to pull from ASU students or anyone else that may or may not reach out to me. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Cool. Yeah, the goal is to get Jacob to be able to take over just the machines because he is swamped right now, and all he does is do is handle the machines right now. Yeah, that... and there's a Sweet. brother that's going to be on his plate pretty soon. Yeah, it's going to be a lot. All the work you have on it. <laughs> yeah. So once uh, once Tumble and Heat Treat are out of his way, he'll be a little more free. Sweet. Yeah. I, th- I think I had one more thing on that note. Shoot. What was it? Yeah, I don't know anymore. Yeah, <laughs> that's, I don't know. That's, that's where I'm at. <laughs> that's fair. Yep. John? I'm in Virginia. <laughs> uh-huh. Why are you in Virginia again? Was it personal? Yeah, it's a family-related okay. related thing. Ah, okay. Gotcha. Yep. So, but the week before was good. I okay. finalized all the Blade stuff. I know we talked about nice. that. kind of off here, yep. but... Yep. So that's been good, and that was the real last hurdle, I think, for nice. really making things. So, and awesome. I did like a couple. I did like one or two warranty related things. I had a silly one where it had like detent lash, so it would, it would close, but you could press the blade, and it would kind of wiggle like against the detent. Mm-hmm. And that was when I was trying to figure out the whole like uh, the preload or the actual bending fixture. Because I kind of uh, changed yes. it to be more consistent, so mm-hmm. I'm over over that hump too. And yeah, that's nice. Really, How do you warranty it? something like that. Do you have to remake the blade or? Yeah, I put I put a different blade on it because. Gotcha. Um, yeah, once that pocket's cut, it's kind of. Um, yeah. Right. A set in, but and then uh, you could like you could sometimes I make like a shouldered stop pin, so I have a couple of those where the shoulder's a little bit bigger. Okay. Yep. You can kind of correct it with that, but then then like the lock bar insert length. So you there's mm-hmm. a little bit of wiggle room, but um, yeah, it it boils down to a new part somewhere though, pretty much. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting yeah. an interesting thing too, thinking about like warranty type stuff because like you want to make a design change, but sometimes you have to think like okay, down the line, if somebody has a knife, can I warranty their knife with the new part kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Do right. you have the inventory of the old stuff? So yeah, I'm, right. I I try to be conscious of that stuff now, but before mm-hmm. it was like, oh, there's only four knives out there. Like, it's fine. Now I'm <laughs> yeah. like, yeah, you know, it kind of had to be a little careful with that kind of stuff. So <laughs> yep. It's like with with frame lock folders, I'm always kind of curious because is the is the goal and is the reality um, where you have finished machined parts and it just assembles without any hand tweaking or or hand tuning i think i don't think um you can get one-to-one this knife feels like a a batch of knives like 50 knives later like i don't think you definitely can uh if you can you know you can control every single aspect of things but i think it really boils down to like you know the end mill is a little bit worn like mm-hmm. you know, a tenth or two versus this one, they're still in spec, but it makes yep. the knife feel different. I mean, like even Grimsmo and them, they do different stop-ins and stuff for assembly. 
and then they right. check the knife, yeah. and then if it's not good, they put a different one in, kind of thing. So, yep. I think the reality of of stuff is, you know, at least that tight of tolerance. Like you kind of have to fit them together with correctly mating mm-hmm. uh, tight tolerance parts. But but I don't really know, honestly. It it always blows my mind that like Ford or whoever any any big company can make like a transmission or whatever, and then have the par- a third party make the parts a bunch of different parts and put them together and they work, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Well, that's what I was going to ask. I was going to ask like how much hand fitting do you think like spider co does? Um, well, or some other company like that. Grant, if you have something. Yeah. yeah well, so it, I would compare more to like ZT or something. Cause spider co and spider co specifically is very much. It works. Uh, their yeah. designs are cool, but they're very utility focused. And so yeah. if you ever take apart their knives, like the inside of their handles are raw G10. They're not machine. Mm-hmm. Like the, it is built to be, re- it's like an AK built to be a reliable tolerances are loose. They all fit together because they're all loose. Um, well-made knives. There's nothing wrong with that, but it's not like high up, upper echelon of machining tolerances kind of stuff that, um, that like John is doing or, or Grimsmo, but like ZT and I think a lot of the higher end Kershaw's cause they're just kind of the same company. Um, I, I think that's the same company. I can't remember. Um, I, I'm not sure to be honest, but I, I think they do do. Well, so, I, so I'm holding a spider co in front of me right now and it's, you know, a liner lock with, a probably G 10 scales. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, I could probably take it apart a bajillion times to put it back together. And I feel like functionally it would be fine. Uh, maybe I'm less picky than some knife people. I, I think the thing that makes it less good is maybe, uh, you know, are things centered and does the spine kind of flow into the handle exactly as it should or whatever stuff doesn't quite match up. Uh, but you know, what, what do you think makes it so that it can, it can go together and and uh, be right because I would I would guess if I bought a second of this same knife I could probably swap the parts and wouldn't it, it would at least work you know I might have a slightly different misalignment aesthetically but I would I think it probably would work. I I want to say that really for a liner lock one you can get a really high accurate laser cutting the actual the lock itself that sits in the liner. And then that relationship between the angle on the black back of the blade and the liner lock, like you can be off, you know, a thou and it's still going to lock up anywhere along that angle. And no one's going to notice that it's like a little different kind of thing. So basically like if you have, you know, if you, if the back of the blade is spaced out a little more than another one, that, that lock is always trying to go up. So as long as it hits the angle on the back of the blade, like it's going to stop. And it's kind of like as that that thing wears in, it's always moving, trying to move up and it's always going to hit that that angle. So if you have kind of a loose, you know, like the stop pin is a little bit farther away, it's still going to travel up and hit that back of the blade. Yeah, I kind of I might know what you're talking about. Yeah, I think I think I kind of get it. Um what do you think the cheapest frame lock is out there that's decent? Um, honestly, like a cheap spider co, honestly. Like they're you know, they're just built to 
work, I guess. They've definitely got a grasp on the whole, you know, mass making parts and slapping them together, I think. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm, I'm, every, I'm no fanboy of, of any knife company, really. Yeah, every every big name brand knife company you can name has a liner lock or, or frame lock that, you know, is cheap, basically. Because in reality, like, it's a it's a cheap design, like, as far as, like, a regular one goes, you know, it's a bent piece of metal that springs yeah. against another piece of metal to keep it out, you know. Um, but, you know, it works really good for what it is, so that's why they're they're popular. Well, the, the reason we're talking about it, though, is, like, you know, how can you make it so that potentially your parts do fit together, even if you swap, you know, one blade for another or a, a, a handle for another? Yeah. Um, so I think because the difference between, like, you know, Spyderco and then, say, like one of mine is the Spyderco, you expect it to be. It's on it's on washers, I think. And yeah. there's a certain like, you know, it, it opens up. You can you can flick it out if you flick your wrist kind of thing. Like there's a, an expected level of like it opens, closes and locks and cuts like there's that. But then when you start, obviously, you know, you get higher and then it's like when you close it, it never like it never has like a, you know, it hangs up or, you know, it's glassy smooth, that type of thing. And um, I don't know if you could. I mean, you could you could get it to where you could take, you know, a batch of parts and slap them together and then be confident without ever testing it that the knife runs as as expected. But there's always that little fine tuning. And then that's what makes it, you know, command that price, I guess. Spider is like it works kind of thing. This batch works, too, type thing. Um, how I would do it, I don't think with my experience level, I could could do it yet. But I don't know. Temperature control, CMMs, like real right. process control. Um, yep. Have someone actually really maybe retolerance all my parts, like someone who 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 knew what they were doing instead of me. Like, <laughs> I'll try it this way this week. Like, yep. yeah, you you could do it. You definitely could. But you know, it takes years too. I mean, how long Spider Co oh, yeah. been around? A for long a time. They invented yeah. the pocket clip or something like that. I don't know. Oh, really? It's, it's yeah. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they have a hole. They yeah. they own the hole. Yep, it's a, it's a patented thing. Yeah. Oh, and I, I and it's possible that some of their tolerances are tight, but they have a specialized grinding machine they built just for that. That you know knocks out yeah. thousands of blades, and then one blade is is out of this tight tolerance, and they they scrap a bunch of blades and you know reset up the machine to make another million blades. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like I went, I went and visited. Not that you know, this isn't knife making, but the reason I brought up the Ford transmission example is because I went and saw uh, a place basically that was set up. They were a third party supplier just to make like it was the bell housing ad, um, adapter for one of the like a Ford automatic transmission for like a four cylinder, a small car, and then like for a Chevy, and like just this one part, you know. It, they came out as raw castings. They went into, you know, these multi-turn lathes and they came out of these multi-turn lathes and they went into a robot CMM that would check it and reject it automatically kind of thing. And they had it dialed to where it was like, you know, room temp, all this. If the room, you know, during the, the day when the sun was shining on a different spot, <laughs> of the, building, the CMMs would show that, you know, this tolerance grew or whatever. And they knew that because they were running, you know, they were running like, 5,000 of these things a day or what, whatever the volume was, but 
I think you can only get to that place by running the volumes and seeing the growth, like a chartable growth. Um, but if your volume is too low, you you never really know like why this pin is different from that pin. Like, you know, you made it at eight, eight in the morning or you made it at 8 p.m. There's a lot of things that change, especially in like our shops where it's temperature yeah. swings or, you know, right. millware or whatever. Like, yep. I don't know. It's definitely, definitely a cool uh, challenge to solve for sure. Yeah. There's also, um, I think from, from my perspective, there's a huge part of the design um, mm. that is, uh, in in school, we we would tend to talk about, or at least probably not in school as so much as my old job, actually, but a good engineer is someone that can design a part to work with loose tolerances so that yeah. it can be made on a mass production scale and it doesn't matter. A bad engineer is someone that requires super tight tolerances. Obviously, hey, I'm, I'm still listening, Grant. <laughs> but it, it's okay it's are you the one like are you the one writing those comments on my videos why don't you just make it need looser tolerances i would if i could i, mean, I don't I, know there's a there's a uh there's a really good video i watched and i cannot remember what the name was but it's 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 about leatherman and the guy who's doing like the walkthrough of the interview actually it's mostly engineering focus but it was a cool video because he talks about i think they got like three kind of full-time design engineers or whatever. And then of course they have like industrial engineers handling mm. production stuff, but they talked about, you know, Leatherman, obviously they design a lot of, a lot of different Leathermans and a lot of different parts mm. like a lot during the year. And it's only like three, three guys. And I think, I don't know if the owner still does some design stuff, um, but it's a pretty cool video. Cause it talks about like doing designing for actual mass manufacturing and like, you know, Leatherman's got to get it right kind of thing. And they have yeah. a lot of experience. And really, that experience does lend itself to also being able to tolerance things correctly as well. Yeah, um, yeah like if you... Uh, there's obviously huge examples, the like CMM and all the electronic digital uh, temperature controlled stuff for making transmissions. I'm sure you can make, you know, have less rejected parts and more efficiency and all this. But like... Ford was still probably making a boatload of cars in like the sixties without any of that stuff. Yeah. You know? And yeah. so is it just like those, those uh, transmissions were a little less efficient cause they were a little looser uh, quality wise than uh, modern machines or. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. They had more rejects or, you know, I, I wonder what's, what's going on and, and how did they still make it so that they could make, you know, probably tens of thousands of cars at least. Yeah. yeah, there's there's a and you guys probably you car guys may know more, um, but there was a the comparison of Ford versus um, uh, Rolls Royce. Um, Rolls Royce was like hand lapping their their pistons uh, or uh, what are they called? The Where the pistons go? Cylinder walls. The, the cylinder walls. Hand lapping, mm -hmm. measuring to a T. And this is back like in the 50s or whatever. Yeah. Um, and then fitting custom pistons to whatever cylinder wall, like everything is perfect, right? And Rolls Royce at the time, their engines were uncomparable to anybody else. Mm -hmm. Ford just opened up the tolerance, and then you could put a piston there. Yeah. And what that allowed them to do is every piston went into every engine, and every engine went out the door. However, they just weren't as good as Rolls Royces because they weren't perfect. And mm -hmm. As modern technology gets better, we can mass produce things to that tight tolerance better, and thus engines as a whole get better and stuff like that. 
Yeah. Um, so there's definitely there that is definitely part of it is we figured out how to do things precisely on no, a scale. Uh, yeah, I mean that was a, a novel invention at one point, the idea of interchangeable parts at all. Yeah. I think someone I think Mark Terryberry of Haas he, at Autodesk University in like 2018 19 had a, a really good talk about this uh and about machining and uh you know, I I can't remember there's there's a couple stories like one of them's that somebody made a contract for the U S army where they were making guns and they just disassembled a bunch of guns and threw them on the ground. So all the parts were mixed up and was like, look, these guys can put the guns back together uh, with whatever parts they want. And it's like, wow, this is incredible. You got the contract. And then it turns out like they faked it. They put like little <laughs> marks on it, but eventually they figured out how to make in, uh, interchangeable parts. And I think this, yeah. that's the same thing that maybe made either it might have been Mercedes. Uh, Mercedes might have been the first person to do, or company to do that with uh, cars, and mm-hmm. they might have done a similar thing where they're like, or maybe it was actually the Jeep with the Army again. But one of those companies did something where it's like, look, we're going to take apart the car and then put all these parts on this car and all these parts on this car, uh, and it was like a, you know, a crazy thing. The idea of you know not having to make like everything custom, yeah. custom fit to fit with everything else, like like a woodworker or something would today be nice furniture. Yeah. And, and a whole nother side of that is, is not necessarily interchangeable parts, but how you achieve those interchangeable parts in the design, um, kind of alluding to what I was talking about earlier, but it's like your spider coat, for example, uh, if you were to mill that liner, um, you're going to have to worry about thermal growth of your machine. You're going to have to worry about end mill wear on your radial, and your pin locations, if you're boring in those holes, are going to wear with your whatever. Um, but if you just like drilled and reamed all of the important locating features, then just out the gate, it's going to be really, really, really precise for a really, really long time because drills and reamers last, you know, yep. a long time. Um, and so it's if you design it to where you can just drill and ream all the important things and everything else doesn't matter then you can make anything fit anything, but that also limits your design scope by a lot. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, the, they're doing a liner lock utility knife for a reason and not a high precision, you know, custom bearing folder. It's a different yeah. thought process entirely. For so sure. Wire EDM all the things. Got it. <laughs> or do that. Or you can, yeah, definitely. I, I think the company I'm trying to have make my blades might be doing some, EDM, and I did not ask them to do that. And interesting, I, uh, I don't know if that'll be a long-term strategy or not. If the you know price what works, feature that's awesome. They're EDMing. I would, I would guess my uh, uh, crazy lobed pinholes. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. Yeah. I didn't realize they even had EDMs. They're much larger than I thought they were. Yeah, I, I haven't said so. the company name because I'm not sure if I should. So yeah, don't say fair. it. I don't even know what you're talking about. What? <laughs> I I need to figure out someone to EDM carbide. So <laughs> if if it works, maybe I'll I'll take it. Are, are you sure those Potter? Sorry, go ahead. I was say time to reach out to 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 Bax EDM. Yeah, oh, honestly, yeah. that'd be pretty cool. So you sure those pottery tools are carbide? Oh yeah, hundred percent. So uh, the whole thing is you're you're literally milling like micro ceramics it's there's a lot of silica in clay um 
not milling, you're turning basically uh, yep. silica. So silica being a super, super hard. It's just abrasive to the tool. Super abrasive. And so it's not required, obviously. Like you, you can sculpt clay with literally anything. You can sculpt it with wood. Um, but to get a really, really clean finish and to shave away things really cleanly and uh, it helps with precision and feel and stuff. You can use a wire tool that's just a braided steel wire. In it. I, I don't deny that carbide would be better. Yeah, I'm just kind of surprised that like, like, cause I, I expected it at least in your pictures and stuff. It's not like an indexable screwing thing. Like my girlfriend does woodworking and has a uh, indexable carbide, you know, hand turning tools. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you're you're saying it's like, you know cut in or brazed in or, or something. So the way that the current people do it is they make the, the end out of carbide and then they braze it to a brass thread that threads into a wood handle with a ferrule. Um, okay. All right. My drawing is a little, my drawing was mainly for me to make one out of steel so I can test the edge geometry. Uh, but I'm planning on doing a insert, uh, style so basically the tip i'm going to edm the outline and then mill a shelf and holes and then insert into it into a steel handle maybe Uh, you should uh i don't know about pottery so i don't know what geometry you'd want but maybe you could look at the uh the carbide inserts for wood turning tools and uh yeah they're they're usually you know they're going to be cheaper than machining ones obviously uh because they're just like you know flat and polished yeah. Well, so my initial idea um, that sparked this whole thing off is I just stuck an aluminum insert onto the end of a stick and I took it to pottery class um, and aluminum cutting insert, carbide insert uh, from the shop. Because oh, so aluminum insert. Okay. Yeah, I actually used it. <laughs> and it, That's funny. It worked quite well. The problem is uh, so, like, turning and cutting, the material is going into the cutter and uh-huh. it's like, so th- if you think about wood turning, that'll be an easier thing to, to picture. Your material is going into the cutter, and usually there's a steady rest that's like right under your cutting uh, head. So yeah. it's it's immediately rigid because it, the force is going into a rigid stop. With pottery, it's the wheel is traveling away from you, and you're pulling on the cutter. Um, so the geometry is actually backwards to a lot of other... It's more of like a scraping action. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's still cutting, but it's, it's, yeah, like if you're, I don't know, I don't even know how, like you're pulling on it, you know, as as opposed to, I don't know if you've ever, like if, uh, if you've ever like turned plastic, uh, you know, it can leave like an ugly finish, like turning it like you would other stuff, but then you could take like a razor blade and just kind of like scrape it across, uh, kind of backwards. Yes, exactly. uh, So, and, uh, leave a, a nice finish. Yeah, so that's that's the motion you're doing, um, but you are like so. If you look at the pottery tool that I'm I'm in designing, it's a loop and it's an edge, a, yeah. a sharp edge on all that loop. So if you angle that edge a little bit off to the tangent of the pottery, whatever you're turning, then it's going to take a chip, and that chip is going to go through the loop, through the inside of the yeah, loop. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and so I I did the turning tool. Uh, or the sorry, the milling insert on a stick, and it worked. Problem is, those are uh, they're meant to have a rigid stop, and so they're they themselves, all the geometry, the cutting edge geometry, is 
uh, it's just meant to take a chip in a different way. Uh, where these tools require a lot of a lighter chip and a different edge geometry, and it's a different motion, I guess. Yeah, uh, it worked, but it wasn't ideal. It, it like if you compare it to the other carbide cutting tools on the market, people would have not picked mine because it, it'd be weird <laughs> to use. Um, right. So the world. I, I hope you said everything you wanted to this episode, John, because this is the pottery arc <laughs> of this season of carbide yeah, right. content. It, Sorry, it's going to be just more pottery from here on out. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna get I'm gonna get David and Dalen into it, and then John. Whenever you do a shop tour, we're, we're gonna get you into it. There it so. is. So <laughs> I have to know: Did you activate the chip breaker on the insert? No, I tried. I tried uh, so hard. Did you? <laughs> I, I I use that insert specifically to break chips um, uh-huh. because so you know. Just like anything, it's like turning plastic. It is stringy, yep. stringy chips, and they they gum up your cut or whatever. Right. And I was like, man, if I was going to use just like a piece of a flat piece of whatever and just stick uh-huh. it there, and I was like, oh, this has chip breaker geometry. I'm going to see if it works. I think if my if I let the the clay dry a lot more, um, there's a bunch of stages of yeah, yeah. So if it's harder, it would definitely break the chips. That's but the, when you trim pottery it's like in a leather hard state so it's still mm-hmm. quite malleable yeah um but i tried i i was like i'm gonna take a super aggressive cut i think i got a little bit of it but it none not enough to make it useful <laughs> uh, that's funny that's awesome <laughs> yeah i guess uh doubling back real quick to my question for john about um assembly without needing to tweak things i only ask because i'm working on a folder here and there it's not my full focus right now but my goal is to have it be like no tuning, ideally, for the lockup and all that. Right. I think my design is maybe a little bit more conducive to that. Assuming I think that it, it actually does lock properly and not fail a spine whack. Yeah, I think you'd be able to do it definitely with probably just multiple different pin sizes in stock would make it okay. remake big parts, essentially, which is what you're trying to avoid. Yeah, exactly. I don't have a stop pin for the close. It's all in the locking mechanism itself. Oh, okay. So I only have an open lock pin. Yeah, I think so. You could definitely, you could definitely do it, and I think okay. I could do it too. But I'm still, like yep. I said, I don't have the volume to figure out what that needs to have happen. Right. Yeah. Yep. And I don't have to worry about a bent lock bar and the location of, uh, you know, the the detent ball moving because of the bend and all that, which is kind of nice. So. Yeah. Yep. Interesting. Okay. Should we wrap it up? Thanks a place to to end it. Yeah. Pottery and Thanks for listening. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. Yep. Next week on Carbide Content, more pottery. Goodbye. (laughs) Yeah.